Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and boy oh boy do we have another loaded show for you not only will we be breaking down everything that happened across smackdown and raw this week we will be discussing the return of none other than the people's champ the rock to wwe at least for one night only as of now we have as always a loaded show for you today so let's not waste any time getting into it i will remind you off the top at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And wouldn't you know it, we have two new five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts that I cannot wait to read for you. The first one, great pod from Joey D with four exclamation points. Awesome pod guys, five stars. Can you guys please acknowledge my four-year-old daughter, Sammy, as the real tribal chief? Appreciate it and keep up the good work. So I can't acknowledge Sammy as the tribal chief. Unless you guys are Samoan and unless I am the elders or, you know, the Usos or Roman Reigns, I can't do that. But what I can do, Sammy, is acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. And we also have Perfect Pod, five stars from C Spry. This is the best podcast to help you keep up with all of the AEW WWE action each week. Every week, there is a full breakdown of all the shows, including instant analysis of premium events and emergency podcasts for major news. For the many of us that simply don't have the time to watch all the wrestling every week, this podcast keeps you in the loop and lets you know the best, most important things to seek out that you may have missed. The commentary is incisive and the takes are honest. Adam and Chris are two guys that love wrestling and just want it to be great. You may not always agree with them, but this is the kind of wrestling commentary we need more of. Thank you, C Spry. That is a fantastic review. Five stars as always. We appreciate that. And yes, the comment you made at the end, you know, we want wrestling to be great. And the commentary we provide on here is how we believe it can be better. And also pointing out the parts of professional wrestling every week, primarily in WWE and AEW that we think are great. So I'm glad that was recognized. And with that, I can acknowledge you as well. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Chris, you have anything to say to uh, these guys or anyone else? No, always appreciate the comments and the reviews. And good to know that we sometimes have young kids listening to this podcast, and we will make sure we are careful with our language from time to time, (laughs) except for when it's absolutely deserved. That was my first thought when I saw that review. I was like, man, if we curse on this episode and Sammy hears it, that may not be a good look. But as far as I know, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case, maybe some of you listen in the car and your kids are in the car with you and you've, you know, infants or whatever. But as far as I know, Sammy, you are the youngest listener to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And like I said, we acknowledge you a little bit more to get to before we run into the rest of the show. 
Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You get news posts every single Friday, along with the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps for the major wrestling TV shows every single week, bonus audio for you as official getting overheads. Once again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would appreciate it if you sign up and support the show. Now, Chris, we have a banger of an episode. I'm saying that before we even get started today. We have a triple main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word as always. But before we get into any of that, I have a number of notes that we need to discuss. Let's kick things off with just something I randomly noticed coming out of WWE television last week, and that was that every show, Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, had a women's match as the main event final match. We had Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez on Raw, Becky Lynch and Tiffany Stratton on NXT in a total banger that resulted in a title change. Becky Lynch, by the way, is now the NXT Women's Champion. If you don't listen to our Thursday show, you might not know that, or if you're not online as well, but clearly she is. You saw it on Raw Monday night. And then Bailey Asuka on SmackDown. That was the final match Friday night as well. I found it to be notable, even though it's happened before. So it's not like a huge deal, but it was great that it was just one of those weeks where that's the way it transpired. Yeah, and Becky, Becky's appearance on NXT did monster ratings for that show as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, kudos to WWE for doing that. And it's also cool that the week happened and I didn't even realize until you said it. So that's another just kind of statement of how far it's come that it's not out of the ordinary anymore. So good stuff. It's great to see that even after a year in which she was heel and then some of her booking maybe hasn't been incredible, you know, on the back end. She is still a draw. The man is a draw. The rating she put up at NXT on Tuesday, that was exceptional. Also, Paul Levesque appeared in a cameo role on Billions. For those who do not watch the show, streaming everywhere, by the way, on Paramount Plus, you can try it for free. Sorry, I think I have to do that contractually. It's like second nature. But Billions is a relatively complicated show. I cannot really explain in a brief manner, but it's basically about a New York state attorney battling with first one billionaire and then eventually two over power, money, all that type of stuff. Anyway, they use Triple H as himself. The U.S. attorney was basically trying to create a double turn in order to reach one of his goals. First, the attorney visited the Raw set, and then Triple H actually walked into a boardroom uh, later in the episode, which was pretty funny. He was looking like some business mastermind that this guy brought in, but it's Paul Levesque. It's the guy that we saw tell a woman to show her breasts you know, on, on Raw and DX. It's the guy who did all those antics, and he's walking into this boardroom on this big Showtime uh, program. But regardless, uh, here's a clip from Billions that I cut up for you guys just so you could hear if you don't watch the show normally. Must feel different to walk this hall as uh, an impresario, no longer the guy in the squared circle. Yeah, still feel every bump, whether you're giving them, whether you're taking them, whether you're scripting them. I've always wondered if I could do it, fall down for a living. You don't have that far to fall. <laughs> Look, you could do it. When this crowd comes alive, you'd come alive. There is nothing else like this. Well, no one knows the game like you do, Hunter. And that's why I need your advice. 
Got a game that needs to be played? Yes, exactly. I need to turn one guy heel and another guy babyface in one move. Oof. Double turn. Tough to pull off, but when it's done right, one of my personal favorites. How do I pull it off? Need to let the heel come in and get the heat from the crowd. Then your baby face comes and gets the pop. The heat and the pop, huh? Oh, yeah. Tell me more about these guys. What do you got on them? Well, they both think they're baby faces. That's for damn sure, but neither one of them is. So that's the clip, one of two clips from the show. And as a longtime viewer, it popped me for Triple H to just randomly show up. Now, the head writer is a WWE fan, and Becky Lynch has also made an appearance a couple years ago. Her appearance was even better than the one we got uh, from Paul this past week. I will say, though, I don't know how many of you, and I don't know, Chris, if you do, because we never talked about it, watch the show Heels on Stars. But this scripting, the way this scene went, felt to me like it was coming out of Heels, which is a much more corny kind of CW drama type of show, and Billions usually has much higher level writing than this, but all like the forced references to playing the game and I am the game and you got a game that needs to be played and here's a heel and a pop and a, a baby face and all that type of stuff. You know, it was a little bit of a corny type of thing, I think for us who are big time hardcore wrestling fans. But I think if you're a general uh, audience viewer and maybe don't know wrestling that much, it probably came across a little bit different. For people who heard that and you could tell that was Paul Giamatti that Triple yes. H was walking and talking with on the show. Pig vomit. And you, you're right. My, my thought was, yeah, my, th my thought was like Triple H was pretty good in this spot until the writing got corny and they're making like they're talking about wrestling terms because that that's where it got a little weird. But like, I think Triple H could generally be a good actor. Like, I think most wrestlers can be pretty good actors because that's what half the job is. Like it, it, there was all, you know, Batista used to talk about all the time about the stigma against wrestlers getting into TV and movies and stuff like that. But him and The Rock and some other people kind of changed that. And it's because like you're all, you are acting. And so I, I think Triple H did a pretty good job here. I think the corniness wasn't on him. It was on the writing and the, the writing. lines that he was uh, told to deliver. It was definitely the writing. Do you, are you saying that he did a better acting job here than he did in The Chaperone? Oh, shoot. I haven't seen that in a while. I remember <laughs> thinking like this. I remember thinking it like this wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't like, bad. He was good here. He was fine. Yeah. 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 There was nothing. There was nothing wrong with this. I was just it. The, some of the writing got corny, like you just said, as yes. it went on. It's just like, oh, man, they're really trying to force all these individual lines in here. And when Becky Lynch was in the show, it wasn't like that, at least not to my memory. But that is a very stereotypical billions scene like. They had one a couple of weeks ago where like Mark Cuban cameoed and there was a lot of like basketball references in there. It's just that's what they do. Yeah. The, the larger portion of the show is extremely well written. It's a great show. I think it might be in its final season. But again, uh, it's on Paramount Plus with Showtime. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, it's I think it's six or seven seasons at this point. So you got plenty to watch if you haven't. Um, but Paul Giamatti is excellent in the lead role. No question. And like I said, uh, shout out to Pig Vomit from the Howard Stern days, and of course, uh, private parts of the movie. So another note before we get into the main event, uh, we were able to confirm here at Getting Over, WWE will be holding a premium live event in Perth, Australia next year. It's going to happen between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. We first wrote about this on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over back in May. It's going to be at Optus Stadium. Capacity could exceed 70,000. 
I was told the primary idea is for it to be Elimination Chamber and the only show between the Rumble and Mania. What's interesting about Perth as a chosen location, it's on the opposite side of the continent from Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, which are probably the towns and cities that are most known, I would say, by Americans, Perth probably coming in fourth. So that's going to make travel really difficult and expensive for a significant part of the Australian population. But Perth paid WWE a significant fee to a site fee uh, to hold the event in their city. I would say by them booking the show in Australia, booking it there and making it a real premium live event, not the super showdown or whatever they did last time uh, they were in Australia. They are banking on significant ticket sales, not just from Australia, but internationally coming into the show. I was looking up when WWE did the Super Showdown in Melbourne, Australia, back in 2018. That was mm-hmm. Undertaker Triple H main event, which is kind of wild to look back at. WWE reported the crowd at 70,000 for that show. Other reports say it was more about 62,000. So uh, I imagine they're expecting, like you said, big crowd, big ticket sales. It's going to be on the road to WrestleMania 40. And if, you know, if we're in the middle of a big Roman story, presumably, uh, yeah, I imagine that's going to be a giant show. So uh, they'll be cool. The, the WWE has done a really good job with these international shows and uh, makes sense to keep doing them. It's five years later. It's the hottest period that WWE's had in, you know, 15 years, if not perhaps longer. And to your point, rather than it be just one off type of matches just to kind of pop the crowd, it's going to be storyline matches like we got at Elimination Chamber last year in Canada. So it should be much more of a real premium live event. And with that being the case, you would expect, yeah, okay, it's not in Melbourne. It's not in the easy travel area, I guess you can call it, of Australia. But you would think that they're going to sell a shitload of tickets for this. So uh, we will certainly find out once it goes on sale. And we will update you here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast as it gets closer and closer. Here, quick, quick quiz. How far away do you think Melbourne and Perth are if you're going to drive? Give me a number. Guess. In miles or hours? Hours. Uh, Day and a half? 36 hours. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Which is almost, which is five hours. And by the way, I'm not some, I'm not some like from, from New York. I'm I'm not some genius about uh, Australian geography. I had looked this up, like how far they were, like. In May, so I knew it was more than a day and less than two days. So, you know, I just took a guess, but yeah. It's it's five hours shorter than driving from New York to LA. Right. So every my, that's that's the point I was making. So if you're in Brisbane, if you're in uh, Sydney, and by the way, I may be mispronouncing Brisbane. Maybe it's Brisbane, whatever, sorry. Uh, or Melbourne, Melbourne. I know it's one of those two as well. Uh, you're traveling, you're flying, what, five hours at least, you know, to get there. And that's just... I mean, that's a trip and you're you're talking about hotels and, and you know, food and all that. So for uh, I don't want to say the vast majority of the population because I don't know Australia that well, but I do know that I'm pretty sure that Western Australia is far less populous than New South Wales and Victoria, which is where all those other major cities are. Queensland, I think, is one of the other uh, areas on the, le- uh, the right side, the uh, eastern side. Point is, they have to travel across the entire continent to get there. So again, I know Perth is populous on its own. I don't think Perth on its own would fill out 
a stadium with 70,000 WWE fans. So you're talking about getting people traveling from over there, certainly people traveling from Asia and Africa possibly going over. Um, I mean, even, even trips from the United States are more difficult to go all the way across to the western coast of Australia. So again, they got to be confident and they, Perth holds many events. You know, I think they've had uh, major concerts. Uh, I think the most sold show at this stadium, it's that singer. Um, man, uh, his name is slipping me, but he's super popular. Uh, Ed Sheeran, Ed Sheeran, uh, I think sold out yeah. 73,000 seats at this thing. But that's more of a general pop culture type of thing. And WWE is not Ed Sheeran levels. So again, I'm just really curious to see how many tickets they sell here. Not that it's like a, a measuring contest or anything with like All In or WrestleMania or anything like that. I'm just a little surprised that this is where they're holding the event. But I will tell you, um, Australia as a continent is one of my three or four like dream vacation destinations. And Perth in particular is one of the places I want to visit. So I want to be clear. I know we do have some Australian listeners, nothing against Perth at all. I'm just saying on one coast, you have three major cities on another. You have one. And it's a little bit strange that they're going to the coast that has one instead of three. Yeah, for sure. And then lastly, Chris, just an overview of this week. I thought it was a strong week uh, of SmackDown and Raw combined. Probably the strongest we've gotten for both shows total in a little bit. Obviously, SmackDown was a star-led show. Raw was interesting in that there was a lot more in-ring focus than usual, but storylines were developed through the in-ring action. So I enjoyed both shows completely for totally different reasons, but the pacing of Raw really kept me intrigued throughout the entire three hours. And I think it was two weeks ago where we had a problem with that. Yeah, it was a much better focus on Raw having Cody start. You know, obviously they're going up against Monday Night Football now, and that clearly impacted what they wanted to do last week. I think they handled it better this week. SmackDown was obviously the rock show, mm. and, you know, everything else is kind of a blur. So uh, definitely a, a solid, a solid two shows. For those who don't watch sports, you said going up against Monday Night Football. That's almost couching a little bit. Uh, WWE went up against two Monday Night Football games this week. Next week, they're going to go up against two as well. And it seems like Disney is about to put Monday Night Football on ABC every single week because of the writer's strike. So last week, WWE had a record low rating for Raw. That was also a extremely hyped Monday Night game between the Jets and Bills with Aaron Rodgers making his debut. Even though there were two games this week and there was only one last week, I don't necessarily know that the two games will do the ratings that the single game did. Um, but point is, at least for the short period where they're going up against the opener of Monday Night Football and then two games, which is going to happen multiple times this season, WWE is going to get crushed. And then all the other weeks where there might have been a little bit of a reprieve, now they're going to go up against Monday Night Football on network television, which is going to hurt them as well. So just not a great situation for Raw right now. But, you know, we note that they know this is coming. There's nothing they can do about it. NFL is a behemoth that affects everything. It affects Chris and I in college football and the way we have to, uh, you know, do our content and the way college football is going to schedule its playoff games coming up in a few years or actually next year, starting next year. Um, point being, the competition for WWE is significant right now. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Chris. With all of that said, let's get into our three-part show. As always, we're going to kick it off by sliding into 
the main event. This is the main event. And we have not a double, but a triple main event this week. And it starts with The Rock getting busy with WWE on Friday. So first, before anything else happened, he was a guest, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was, on the Pat McAfee show, which is now, by the way, on ESPN. So McAfee show, along with basically every ESPN program of significance and Fox's big noon kickoff for college football, they were all in Boulder, Colorado for the Colorado-Colorado State game. For those who are not sports fans, uh, Deion Sanders, you definitely know him. He is now the coach of Colorado, and it's a big to-do. Anyway, through some confluence of events, The Rock decided to be the guest picker on college game day. They pick all the top 25 games at the end of that show. Uh, It's ESPN's pregame show for college football. But he came in a day early to Boulder, and he decided to do Pat's show first. During that interview, Rock was asked about a WWE return. He said that injury and schedule concerns are actually not the top issues with him coming back to WWE. He hasn't been back because he wants to make sure whatever he does is a worthy storyline and or moment. So Pat properly followed up by asking, what about WrestleMania 39 in LA? Why did that not happen? Rock said it was locked in a year ahead of time and he was going to fight Roman Reigns in LA, except they couldn't nail down a worthy storyline and it also got decided that Mania would be the beginning, not the end of the story. That sounded to me a little bit convoluted, but he added one more item, quote, there's WrestleMania in Philadelphia, I'm open. So that was 45 minutes northeast, I think, of Denver, which is where SmackDown was set Friday night. I didn't have any massive takeaways from this interview, Chris, though obviously what he said was notable. I don't see how the Rock Reign storyline with the elders would not have been worthy for WrestleMania, so that part doesn't compute to me. And as I said previously, Chris, we've had this discussion many times last year. They could have done Rock and Reigns on night one with Reigns winning and then Reigns Cody on night two with Reigns losing the title. I still think they could have done it. I don't see why the storyline wouldn't have been worthy. Maybe they ran into a time crunch. Maybe Rock isn't telling the entire story. Something here doesn't compute to me. All I could think about here was Rock revealing this, that that was the plan and that, hey, I'm open next year, that that's going to take that's going to cast a significant shadow mm-hmm. over Cody Rhodes now. It is for a while Un- until we until Cody wins the title, even if he does, because now we're just going to be thinking, about, hey, we could have gotten Rock Roman. We should have got Rock Roman. And if, if we do get Cody Roman, all right, when are we going to get Roman Rock? You know, like so it's I I'm surprised he said it. For that reason, because it doesn't throw Cody under the bus, but it really like kind of puts him in the it's going to cast the rock shadow Mm -hmm. over everything Roman does now until the two of them go together. So um, it was informative and interesting and a little bit convoluted, like you said, but I also think it, it, it plays a role in other things and what happened on SmackDown and not addressing that. I think was maybe an attempt to kind of get away from it. Well, maybe. I mean, but you're right. 
he cast a shadow over Cody the first time, us wondering whether it would be Cody, whether they were going to go with Rock and bring him in. It eventually became obvious that Rock wasn't coming in and, and that they were going to go with Cody. And that was fine. But here we are again. And it's like, OK, they pushed this off. The title, I, I, we have to repeat this. If they do Rock and Reigns, the title does not need to be involved and probably should not be involved. And this is what we discussed last year. It's why you do Reigns and Rock in a non-title match. Reigns wins. Then he loses to Cody, but he has the excuse that he fought the night before. You could even have Cody fight someone the night before, too, to make it even. There were so many different options that they had where it could have worked. And they can do the same thing this year. They can have Rock and Reigns on night one and Rock and Cody on night two and just repeat what I've been talking about for pretty much two years at this point. It's just if they're not going to pull the trigger with Cody at WrestleMania, then win the F, I, you know, I know Sammy's listening. I can't curse today. Uh, when the F, are they going to pull that trigger? Are they going to wait until SummerSlam again? Are they going to have him beat The Rock at we WrestleMania can't. 40 and then go to Cody? And Cody doesn't get the WrestleMania moment, but he gets the title. And now it's a four and a half year title reign. I mean, I don't know, man. You're right. It's casting a shadow over it. It's going to. It It is furthering my belief that Cody should have won this year. Absolutely. Because almost, ev- almost everything Roman has done since then doesn't need the title. Cody would be your big face champion. You would have a new megastar and you can do Roman rock on its own. as the natural thing to do next. I don't know if or when plans changed. I don't know how much the merger with UFC played a role in any decisions, but clearly at some point they were going to do rock Roman and it's, and at some point they had to change it to rock uh, to Roman Cody and figure out what goes along with that. But it, it, it still continues to further my belief now that uh, Cody should have won it this year because now this is going to hang over it. I still maintain and, and we still need to approach it where we won't know whether Cody losing at WrestleMania 39 was the right decision until the storyline actually ends and Cody either wins the title or the or I almost called him the rock or Roman Reigns loses the title. We still I'm, I'm still going to hold out my final like decision until that happens. But Everything that keeps transpiring since WrestleMania leads to me leaning more and more on the side of, yeah, they should have just dropped the title. Even right now, there's nothing they couldn't have done with Reigns not being champion. The the storyline as of right now, as it stands, you know, middle of September, which is however many months after uh, WrestleMania, five, six months after WrestleMania, all of it could be done without Reigns as champion. So we need to see what happens over the next six months into WrestleMania and what happens at WrestleMania 40. But for now, yes, it certainly seems that way. Let's keep going. We have a lot more to talk about. Pat McAfee opened SmackDown as a surprise. He was 30 miles up the road for Colorado, Colorado State, as I mentioned. So he came down to pump up the crowd. Austin Theory interrupted and actually got some decent heat, saying they have unfinished business and he was going to drop him, just like Aaron Rodgers, who, by the way, is a guest on McAfee's show every week, so it was good reference. McAfee said... He isn't ready to fight because he's enjoying the local laws in Colorado. In other words, and whoa, I'm really high. And he said that it's not theory show. It's the people show. And I think as this segment was progressing, it was pretty clear what he meant.
I let that play because the pop was effing insane. It was so loud on the live broadcast. This is the YouTube mix that WWE posted. But on the live broadcast, you could barely hear The Rock's theme over the cheers through the TV. Chris, I'm not sure if you've ever been in attendance for a moment like this. I've had two similar but nowhere near as cool experiences. One of them was at Raw in Miami. I was with Nick Costos, actually, my old uh, co-host back on In This Corner, uh, my old podcast. Uh, In 2016, The Rock returned. He blew the roof off what was then American Airlines Arena. But he started out in an extended backstage segment. He eventually made his entrance. And he wasn't away as long as he was this time, which was basically four full years. The other time was the Y2J return in 2007, the code breaker, the save us Y2J stuff. I was first row at the corner by the ramp in Sunrise, Florida. And again, it started backstage. It was like a tease. But this, this was an eruption. Can you imagine having bought a ticket for SmackDown in Denver? And then all of a sudden, this transpires in front of you. First, you find out, Cena's going to be there like, oh, wow, John Cena, how lucky am I? And then The Rock surprises you to open the show. Wild stuff. One of our listeners, Jay Neiser, 17, he was there. Great for him. Exciting. But Chris, this was a spectacular surprise. And when you talk about WWE creating moments, this was a moment. Oh, for sure. All I could think about was, man, I wish The Rock wasn't on the Pat McAfee show the day before, and I didn't know he was in Colorado at the time. Right. You know? when, when, when McAfee came out, I was like, I wonder if The Rock would come because he's there because we saw him in Boulder yesterday. And so, oh, there he is. Cool, cool, cool. I, I think, um, but obviously most people, if you're not online or you don't follow Pat McAfee's show, uh, clearly most people were surprised. And the numbers it did, I think WWE said it had more than, 100 million views throughout yep. social platforms and stuff like that. Just ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. My, my, the only thing I could compare it to personally was something like that. It was Money in the Bank 2021, the second show after coming back from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. A Roman Reigns Edge main event and Cena popped up at the end of the show. That was a giant pop. I remember at the time that was uh, on, on clips and stuff like that huge pop as well because that was Cena's first comeback since Firefly Funhouse mm-hmm. so uh, that's about the only thing I could compare it to also good to, to hear back on the days when you were able to attend wrestling shows that was fun but hey look Royal Rumble St. Pete I am gonna work my ass off to be there I really want to go to Wrestlemania 40 as well but I'm gonna try my damnedest to go to Royal good. Rumble uh, in January so of course once the music stopped once the rock got in the ring and he's getting cheered and 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 praised by the fans, Fox muted itself for an entire minute because the crowd was chanting, holy shit, because we can't have nice things. Theory tried to talk smack. The Rock told him to shut his bitch ass up, which apparently is not mute worthy. Then he did finally to a pop. And Theory said it was The Rock and Austin in the ring together one last time. Then Theory caught him with his own. It doesn't matter. That was a really hot moment. So The Rock called him a jabroni. And then he did Stone Cold's Give Me a Hell Yeah. Then The Rock got the crowd to split, chanting, you are an asshole. And again, Fox censors forced us to miss pretty much the entire extended moment by muting the entire thing as opposed to just the word asshole, which is possible. It's not that hard to time it up right and just mute the single word. Ridiculous. But don't worry. Your boy has got your back. Here is that portion of the segment completely uncensored. There was a small part in the middle 
I needed to cut. It was just kind of weirdly broadcast for some reason. But for those of you who don't live in the United States, we barely heard any of this. So here you go. Three, two, one. So sorry, hold on one second. That that was amazing, by the way. Denver, Colorado. That was amazing. The Rock has got goosebumps right there. But you know what? This is the Rock Show. It's a people show. This is the people. Now we're gonna give this side a chance to say you are and this. Three, two, one. Show's two hours. <laughs> the Rock knows the show is two hours, but right now the Rock and the people we're having fun, baby. So that was two minutes. For those of you again who listen and are international, that was two minutes of broadcast that we basically had bleeped out almost entirely. And I want to also point out, Chris, this was actually a callback that completely went over my head because it was during the two-year period where I was not watching WWE. But one of our listeners, uh, Brett Malam, sent us a DM and pointed this out. It actually happened in nearly identical fashion at the 2002 WWE draft. The concept was The Rock was the first pick. He was pissed off having to move from Raw to SmackDown. He was on stage with Vince McMahon. And the reason why this chant is the way it is, is they were at Penn State University. But you see... Yep. They have a little saying up here, and it goes like this. We are. It goes like that. But see, yeah, you have that stupid look on your face like, oh, what do you got? What do you got? We are here. I don't understand. Well, you will understand. You see, tonight, we're going to do a different saying. The people's chant, the people, we're going to do a different saying. And it goes like this. Anytime you mess with the rock, tonight, every night, every arena across the country, this side will say you are, that side will say an asshole. No! Wait a minute. You can't do that, can they? And you give it a little example of what it sounds like on the count of three. One, two, three. McMahon, you have pride. You keep that some bitch going. You are an asshole. You are an asshole. You are an asshole. 
Sounds like we're the prop title just convincing. You know what? So much for not cursing for Sammy on this episode. I guess that didn't really work. But uh, nevertheless, that was from 2002. Chris, I just got to tell you, look, the the reason why, just so everyone knows, the reason why Fox mutes this stuff, it's the FCC. It's a broadcast station here in the United States. Yes. And they're not allowed to air certain dirty words, quote unquote, dirty words. It's just that, look, this is WWE. They It's a PG product. They don't really go that far. In certain situations like this, you kind of want someone to be smart enough to say, look, this is about to happen. We'll pay the fine. Deal with it. But it, you just can't. The, my biggest issue, it wasn't that they muted the word asshole. It's that they muted the entire segment. And watching it live, I'm not saying it ruined it. It was still really exciting. But it wasn't as impactful as it could have been because, look, we couldn't really hear it. Yes. My thought as it played out was you you know what the rock's gonna say like you go over it right you know fox is gonna believe it how how does that happen H- how do you not come up with something different you know that can come through ultimately it was a funny moment and all that but just it made for a really 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 awkward broadcast mm-hmm. so that was i just i couldn't i was like you know this is gonna happen like you said, they went on for like two minutes. Like, did WWE just be like, oh, crap, we messed up here? Or I, I, I don't know. And also that playing that earlier clip, a good reminder of just how freaking electric <laughs> The Rock yeah. was in the early 2000s and how good Jerry Lawler was in his role on commentary at that time. And how well he played off JR and vice versa. Man, that was such a yeah. classic pairing. Uh, no, you're right. And, and I think earlier in the segment, they may have said a-hole instead of asshole and it wasn't bleeped. So why couldn't they have just done the exact same segment with a-hole instead of asshole? Then it wasn't doesn't get bleeped and everyone's happy. So yeah, just a little bit of a frustrating moment. But anyway, we got a lot more to talk about here. Uh, so The Rock said his theory was he'd whoop his candy ass. Theory actually acted first. He got a couple shots in. Rock caught him with a spine buster. Then he sold the hell out of the moment before hitting the people's elbow. Then he encouraged McAfee to do it. Not a bad job by Pat. I'd say 6.5 out of 10 if I was the Russian judge giving him a score on the elbow, yeah. you know, but it was a straight fire segment. Most notable about this for me was how effortless it was for The Rock doing two of his signature moves. It's not a surprise to some respect, but he's all yoked up. He's huge. He hasn't been doing ring work and it was like straight up muscle memory. He did it with ease, not a hiccup, nothing. I don't even know what else there is to say about this. It was an incredible surprise, though, Really one we should have seen coming, given what we just discussed about The Rock being on Pat's show Friday, game day on Saturday. I just can't believe I didn't put two and two together. The Rock has not lost a step on the mic. You may remember on one of his Raw returns, he had notes scribbled on his hand. Other times, he occasionally got lost a little bit and took long pauses, would point to goosebumps on his arm to kind of remember where he was. He was perfect here. No notes whatsoever. Also perfect was the format of this segment. And really... The best development long-term is theory was given a sink or swim moment and the dude swam, plain and simple. This was much needed for theory. It's possible that coming out of this, he's molten hot. If not, he should at least be elevated with some bullshit that he can spew on the mic to get heat. He made the most of this opportunity, probably delivered the best promo of his career and played a huge role in one of the biggest moments of 2023 from a viral perspective. He crushed Pat on the mic. Then he held his own largely with The Rock. 
This for a guy who has taken a lot of shit for not living up to expectations, despite the fact that he's still young. Even if you don't have high hopes for him, you got to admit he had a solo home run here. You could even say that this did more for him than the entire John Cena program. You know what? I am saying that. Not that I could say it. I am saying it. And to wrap it up, again, I'll just point out the crowd was straight up insane from the moment The Rock's entrance hit until the commercial break. And Chris, yeah, I mean, were you as pumped up coming out of this as I was? It was a lot of fun. It was great. Like you said, The Rock, it felt like old Rock again, as opposed to sometimes when he would come back and be a little off. Two thoughts on theory. One, The Rock looked gigantic next to him. Theory mm-hmm. looked tiny, and Theory's not a small dude. And second, we'll, like Theory better figure this out, and they better figure out what to do with him, because over the last year and a half, he has now had a Vince McMahon slash Pat McAfee moment at a WrestleMania. He beat John Cena at a WrestleMania. He's had a feud with Rey Mysterio, and he's had a big moment with The Rock. Mm-hmm. That is a lot. They're giving him a lot. And to this point, it hasn't really connected. So, well, like, that's because it hasn't all been Rock good. Moment, man. Like, <laughs> I know. And it's not all his fault. Like, yeah, I it's not all his fault. I think he's pretty good. But, like, you got to you better figure this thing out because we think he's talented and can do some stuff, but man, he has just been flailing for a while. So better have something with this. Well, to that point, the only two people who have been in the same ring with Steve Austin, The Rock, and Vince McMahon over the last 18 months are McAfee and Theory. And if you add in John Cena like you did, it's only Theory. That's immensely wild. But the key is, again, even if he's not living up to those expectations right now, He's being put in quality positions. He's only 26 years old. And again, the Cena feud may not have worked, but he was perfect in this role on Friday night. Consider the way Dominic Mysterio started and where he's at now. Theory has plenty of time. The hope is that this coming Friday on SmackDown, they figure out a way to use this as a springboard. You have Grayson Waller rubbing shoulders with Cena. That's working better for Waller than the Cena theory feud did for Theory. You have Theory rubbing shoulders with The Rock. I mean, you got to create something out of this. So the proof is in the pudding, as you kind of uh, intimated there. Depending what they do Friday night and over the next couple of weeks, hopefully Theory is able to ride this wave, get big time heel heat and cut promos like he did on Friday night. If he goes right back to being the same guy he was a couple weeks prior, it's going to be all for naught. That's really the key to it. So moments later backstage, McAfee and The Rock commiserated about the segment with more bleeping, by the way, when suddenly John Cena appears behind The Rock. They stare down each other, all kind of serious. Then they broke smiling, they shook hands, and they hugged. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I'm I'm delicate. Now, we didn't get any more of The Rock on SmackDown after this, I presume because he and McAfee probably had to catch a car back to Boulder because of how early they needed to wake up for game day the next day. I have a feeling that you, Chris, might have a specific criticism, so I'm going to hold that for you to share. But I was actively hoping they would put Rock and Cena on screen together because it's immensely rare for both of them to be on WWE TV at all, let alone simultaneously. So I'm glad they at least got that accomplished. Yeah, like whenever Rock or Cena or whoever like shows up, we always say, do a couple of backstage segments, give some other rubs around. You've got somebody there, Mm -hmm. use them. 
And they've been doing that with Cena on this go around, which has been great. So when we saw Rock and Cena, that was great. You know, you got something there, you call it back. They're also both uh, superheroes in the DC Extended Universe. That isn't going to happen anymore. But, <laughs> but um, well, I, I Peacemaker is going to continue. Well, Peacemaker is going to continue. I don't know about Black Adam and The Rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Rick Boogs posted some photos on Instagram of him and The Rock. Like Boogs was flexing. They were kind of flexing a little bit. So like Rock did stay around and do do a couple of things. But um, two th- two things that didn't happen. One I wish did. One I think is notable that didn't. The one I wish happened was The Rock in L.A. Night. Yeah, I knew it. that's what I, I knew like, you were going to say that. Everybody says L.A. Night is a Rock Austin hybrid. So put them together. You got the hottest guy in the company right now with The Rock in the same building. Just have him do a quick little back and forth for a minute and you'll have more viral gold and 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 just you could like allude to people thinking LA Knight is like him, but like The Rock giving him like a, hey, you're awesome man type of stuff to shut that up, but didn't do it. Really, really disappointed in that. And then the other one they didn't do was uh, no Rock in Jimmy Uso or Solo or Bloodline stuff, which going back to what we talked about earlier, I think was notable for, for the, like they Rock going on Pat McAfee show and saying, hey, I almost fought Roman. Maybe we'll do it next time. They could have leaned into that and put out some crumbs here and there, but they didn't. And I think they probably did that on purpose as well. So here's the thing with L.A. Knight. I largely agree that they could have done a nod or a fist bump or L.A. Knight always wears the glasses. He could have pulled them down and done the people's eyebrow and just kind of, you know, played into what you're talking about, the comparisons. But Knight already said that he's not pining for Cena's respect or approval. And also, he's not some young kid getting the rub, like Cena when The Undertaker dapped him up after the Kurt Angle match. Mm-hmm. This guy's 40. I mean, he he's a veteran, right? Like, it is a different circumstance, but I do agree, like, them bumping into each other, looking each other up and down, doing an eyebrow, or getting a pat on the back or something. It, you know, it could have been valuable. I personally preferred Rock Cena to rock and night because rock and Cena have an ongoing storyline or they did, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it played into that. They made good. They're both baby faces rock and night. If you're going to put them together, it almost feels like you want there to be some type of meat to chew on. Even if it's not a lot, you want to create something. And it does seem the way that opening segment was done. It was slightly kind of thrown together with like, we have the rock. What can we do? We have Pat McAfee. Let's use Austin theory versus like, let's create a moment with LA Knight, if you're going to put them together, you want something to be accomplished there. Then regarding the bloodline, if you're not going to start a story, then teasing it would really be unfair to the audience. Now, what I'd have done perhaps is had someone else come up to rock, maybe even Cena, be like, yo man, what's up with your family right now? And then he could like shake his head or like, hey, you know, that's not my business right now or, or, or something. Or Maybe he could have like bumped into Paul Heyman and like shook his head at him, like with, like a, a nod of disapproval of what Heyman's doing. Do I think it was a notable miss with the bloodline? Not really. If they ever plan to build a program, WrestleMania 40 or otherwise, he's going to be on TV to build it. And he's probably going to do so in the media as well. I thought it was purposeful that The Rock and the bloodline stayed apart and that they did those segments later in the show as well. That's the way I saw it. Yep, I agree too. And again, because you at this point, you don't want to overshadow Cody. 
you know, and, and figure out what you're doing there. So, uh, no, I agree. I think they did that on purpose and um, probably a good call. So that was the first part of this triple main event. Let's move to the second part, which is the bloodline drama continuing. AJ Styles fought Finn Balor with very little fanfare, by the way. It was promoted on social media a few hours before the show. It wasn't really treated with the reverence it should have been given their history, not only outside WWE, but in WWE as well. It was the first match on SmackDown. Styles tripped Balor on the ropes. Finn escaped Styles' clash only to eat a neckbreaker over the knee. Judgment Day got ejected for interfering. But as Styles was about to put Balor in Styles' clash again, Jimmy Uso ran in to distract. Styles took him off the apron, and Balor caught Styles in a crucifix for the win. Jimmy was later backstage kind of pacing, and Paul Heyman was supposed to be lurking in the background, but Balor missed his cue, so Jimmy had to pretend he didn't see Paul. Eventually, Balor walks up. He thanks Jimmy for the assist. Jimmy said he owed him one from last week. Then Balor talked about recruiting Jay, pointing out that he didn't exactly say no on Monday night. So Balor pitched both Usos joining the Judgment Day, but Jimmy said he's good with the bloodline. Balor pointed out the best part of Judgment Day is there's no leaders, which means there's no Roman Reigns. Then Heyman approached, kind of pointing at Balor as he left. There's not too much to say about the match, which is why I did this together, but there was strong work, obviously, despite it not doing anything storyline-wise that was relevant. What I wanted to point out, though, was the backstage segment. I threw some heavy, deserved criticism on Jimmy last week. This was the best thing he's done over the last few weeks. And Balor played a significant role in that being the case. I don't think there's going to be any more long-term with Jimmy and Judgment Day. Clearly, they're going to go back to it at least this Friday. But it was an intriguing twist for Balor to offer both of them a spot where they could both thrive somewhere together without Reigns. It played into that long conversation we had last week where Jimmy heard the offer but was emotionally affected by not only the offer but the disrespect of Roman in a way that was actually quite refreshing. So, I really liked this. Yeah, it, it, it was good. It, having Bloodline being on both shows because of the tag team titles is a lot, but it is continuing to lean into what I think is faction warfare. You've got Bloodline trying to take some, I'm sorry, Judgment Day trying to take somebody from Bloodline, so to speak. And doing the Jimmy and Jay thing on both shows is interesting. Most notable to me in this spot, Paul Heyman, has a new iPhone, people. <laughs> we talked about this last week. I, we talked about this last week. Paul Heyman has an X, iPhone XR that's five years old. What does Paul Heyman have this Friday? He has an, either, an iPhone either 11 or 12. I couldn't, You couldn't tell which one, but based on the way the cameras were set up with a bloodline case and all that, do we think somebody was listening to the show and, and, and told Paul Heyman and he changed his phone or something like that? What are the odds? He's had that red phone. I know. Like forever. And then we talk about it on the show and he pops up with a with a different iPhone on that date. Something had to have happened. And I, it was I not exactly what I freaked out when I saw that. It was not like it was some online topic that we just brought into the show and discussed. It was that no. was an exclusive. I don't, I'm not saying exclusive like it was special, but it was like an exclusive conversation on this show where it was random that you brought it up. I said, hey, you know, there's some credence to that, but it's nothing I really want to spend a lot of time on. And then here we go on Friday and Paul has a brand new iPhone with a brand new case. I got some messages like, you know, hey, it's funny that Chris mentioned that. Where can I get that case? People want that phone case. Yeah, I don't think you do because if you're getting a new iPhone, that case isn't going to fit. That thing's like probably three years old. So I have Correct. no idea what's happening. Um, maybe he's on like a family plan where 
his kids get the new phone and they trickle the old one down. And it just so happened that they did that this time. Dude, I have no clue. Um, but the cell phone gimmick, it's working. It's great. I, I don't think I, I can't imagine that like someone heard us talk about it on the podcast and said, hey, Paul, we should upgrade your phone. And then he goes to AT&T or Verizon <laughs> and goes through the entire process. I have to imagine it was a coincidence. But what a coincidence. Maybe maybe the bloodline's got a family plan in there. <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe, maybe that yeah. came around. Maybe they do. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, so Heyman later told Sokoa that Jimmy is picking fights on behalf of the bloodline despite not being in the bloodline. And Jimmy's putting Sokoa in a position to fight his battles because of it. Solo said he knows what he needs to do and he's going to finish it before the night is out. And Heyman was confused at who could have possibly given him an order to do anything since he's the mouthpiece. He's the one that relates what Roman Reigns says. So he calls Roman and we never heard anything about that conversation. So let's fast forward to later in the show. John Cena guested on the Grayson Waller effect. This was the final segment. Waller obviously criticized this and that about Cena, ultimately saying he's the GOAT, but isn't at GOAT levels anymore and clearly doesn't want to wrestle. He also had a great line saying, when I talk to grownups, I take my hat off like my mother taught me. Great reference given the beef with Deion Sanders and Colorado State's coach Jay Norvell, who made that exact comment about Coach Prime ahead of the game that we mentioned earlier. Chris, I also cannot believe that we are in the main event segment and we've already mentioned college football twice on this show. It's pretty remarkable. It's pretty clear The Rock would not have returned to WWE if Colorado did not hire Deion Sanders as his head coach. Like, that just straight up happened. So really funny crossing of our worlds here. So here's the question for you. And we'll talk more about Cena and Jimmy and all this in a moment. But it could be one of two ways. Either The Rock was planned to be at this SmackDown because it was the first SmackDown after the TKO deal was signed and they wanted to pop a rating and they wanted to do all this type of stuff. And they just so happened to have college game day 45 minutes up the road in Boulder. So he said, you know what? Let me do that and then I'll come and do WWE or the exact opposite, which is what you're pointing out. Both are plausible scenarios. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I guess it's possible the idea that they'd want to bring the rock in after the merger to do that. It's it's possible. I I, I don't know. But I think you're right. I think he was doing the ESPN thing and then he, you know, someone from WWE is like, yo, man, we're 45 minutes away. You should get here. He said, "Okay," and they did it. That's that's most likely, but it could have been the other way is all I'm saying. It felt like quite a coincidence, but it still may have just been a coincidence. Yeah, agreed. So Cena takes off his shirt to go at Waller. When Jimmy interrupts, he steals the mic. Jimmy said no one wants Cena there. And if he tries to embarrass him again, presumably he'd get taken down. They went face to face when Sokoa stormed down with Heyman. He walked right by Jimmy into Cena's face. Jimmy talked shit and mocked him, but Solo turned and grabbed Jimmy's neck. Then he threatened the Samoan Spike, only to turn and super kick Cena. Jimmy went for a dap, but Solo instead attacked John. Jimmy then joined in, so AJ Styles made the save. He hit, John did, five-knuckle shuffle on Jimmy before Heyman told Sokoa to save Jimmy and SmackDown ended. What was particularly fun about this segment is WWE gives us noted stickman John Cena on a talk show segment, yet he literally did not say an entire word. The whole gimmick around it was everyone is saying he talks too much, yet he actually doesn't end up saying anything in the entire segment. This was some of Waller's best mic work yet on the main roster. Cena played off him perfectly with all his nonverbal mannerisms. With seven weeks until Crown Jewel, 
and Cena making six more SmackDown appearances, this is coming together as an in-between storyline until Reign shows up to build the Styles match. We also got what I would call the most clear vision of Jimmy's story, though it's still a little bit convoluted as we mentioned last week. After that first SmackDown where it came across extremely odd, the storyline has improved with each of the last few weeks. The only thing I hope is they address Cena and Styles having a prior feud because it seems like they're going to be teaming up against uh, Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. So there should be something there of like, hey, we used to hate each other in a major way, but now we're teaming up for the greater good. But I love the way this segment transpired. I thought it helped Jimmy significantly. Grayson Waller played a great role. You have the interesting elements of John Cena and AJ Styles. You can do TV matches. You can have a match between perhaps John Cena and Solo Sokoa at Crown Jewel. Uh, I posted on Twitter immediately after this segment, major flashbacks, major vibes of John Cena and Umaga when he went face-to-face with Solo Sokoa here. We've already made those comparisons. Mm. Everyone has numerous times, but that face-to-face, I was like, oh my God, that's a flashback for me. So I just loved the way this was executed. It was a really fun segment and I thought everyone got over because of it. Yeah, really good stuff. I, I imagine they'll reference Cena, AJ when it comes up. Because, I mean, remember that AJ Cena feud is that is what made AJ in WWE like like he was a star, but it was the Cena feud that kind of made AJ and kind of turned people on Cena again, mm-hmm. again in a good way. So I, I imagine we'll get there. My my only other takeaway from this was that, like, Grayson Waller is so freaking good and he's doing nothing. I know. Like like you said, it'll, it, it'll be a tag team match with. With it, like, put Grayson Waller and Austin Theory out there with The Rock or something like that. Like, the Grayson Waller back and forth with Cena at Money in the Bank and the way Grayson Waller handles a live crowd versus doing a talk show is so much better. We've said this multiple times. This dude is so good on the mic, but he's in a talk show format where he can't really interact with the crowd. And he's never, he's he's background to the person he's interviewing in their feud. Like, I can't believe this guy's still not in a story yet. I want him and Austin Theory to be a tag team or something because like this guy's good, man. And, I, and he's up there in age. I don't want him to just kind of be sitting around, literally sitting around. So, uh, but no, this was a good segment. I'm really enjoying Cena being here mm-hmm. and just like kind of moving things along in an interesting way while Roman's gone. Like it just, it added a lot and really props to Cena for coming back to do that. I don't know if it's because there's a strike and he can't do anything in the movie world right now, but it's uh, it, it's it's helping WWE. Yeah, there's no question about that. And I've been giving SmackDown a lot of deserved grief recently. I think you have as well. But what stood out about this episode as a culmination of the last two weeks was how almost every big name is interwoven into one story. And then if you make the connection mm-hmm. through Judgment Day over to Raw, you have every big name on two shows involved in one larger storyline, yet half of them aren't even interacting with one another. It made SmackDown on Friday feel alive in a way it really didn't in the weeks that followed Jay quitting about a month back. That's exact. That creates the feeling of you can't miss the show. Right. Because there's going to be an important plot point as opposed to each episode being its own universe. Like that makes, I got to watch next week because there's like three or three things going on. What's going to happen when these people interact. So credit to them. So let's move to the third part of our main event, which is 
the drama continuing with Jay Uso. So of course, we're talking about Raw here. So Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio opened the show. Cody pointed out how he was interrupted last week and wants to talk about Jay Uso. So of course, Dom interrupted him again. He did his normal routine. The cheers and jeers both ways were incredible. Cody suggested his relationship with Rhea Ripley was undefined for a reason, which got a nice little pop. Judgment Day then joined Dom at ringside, and then Dragon Lee from NXT showed up in the crowd. It was announced there's going to be a North American title match next week on Raw. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, They had a confrontation backstage later that didn't advance the story, he and Dom. Anyway, in the match, Dom kind of botched a move, then Cody hit a Cody cutter, plus Crossroads for the win. Judgment Day threatened, so Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn ran in, and the heels dipped out through the crowd. Surprisingly short match, given Dom as a champion, but it's also Cody, so it makes sense. There wasn't actually anything to take away from it on its own, though Cody gaslighting Dom was fun. It seems like the reason for this match and segment happening was more to set up the ensuing segment, which we will discuss in a moment. It wasn't the best opener by any means, but there wasn't much wrong with it either. Opening your show with Cody made a lot of sense uh, after he was barely on the show. I think it was last week with the Monday Night Football stuff. He just showed up at halftime. Multiple weeks. Um, He's either not been there or barely been there. It hasn't made any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the audio to open up Raw was kind of weird. Like you could barely hear Cody's theme. I just I thought that was interesting. Um, I I love um, I I thought that was going to when it happened, I was getting ready to text you. I was going to text you and I was going to say, Oh, a Judgment Day six-man main event. It must be Monday. Because I thought that's I thought we got a short match. We got six people in the ring. Oh, let's do a match. I, I was expecting it, and it didn't happen. So I was actually pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, one quick note here for those who do not watch NXT. So Dragon Lee getting this title match does not make much sense in kayfabe. He lost a number one contendership to Mustafa Ali, who will fight Dom at no mercy next weekend for the NXT North American Championship. So he lost a title match to Dom. Then he lost a number one contendership match, both via cheating, obviously. But he still gets a title match before Ali does at a premium live event. Look, surely Judgment Day is going to help Dom. And yes, I'm happy they're promoting NXT by putting superstars on Raw and having the titles defended on Raw. They did it with Becky Lynch later in the show. That's a huge positive. But it would be nice if it also worked in kayfabe. Let me just say that. Anyway, back to what happened here. So KO cut Cody's music as he was exiting from this segment. It was a tease through commercial. And I loved that Owens made a snide comment about it when they came back from commercial. He's like, all right, now that we're back, we can actually talk in front of everyone at home. Uh, Rhodes took responsibility for Jay being on Raw. So Owens asked on behalf of the entire locker room why Cody thought that was a good idea. Cody pointed to fan support. He said Jay deserved a second chance, just like he's received multiple second chances. And he noted how now... The bloodline is down a member. Sammy added that it took a lot for Jay to dig out of his situation with Roman Reigns and KO and Sammy gave each other second chances that resulted in them winning the tag team titles at WrestleMania. Owens pointed out Jay was responsible for all three of them not beating Roman for the title. And he made another snide comment about how he got like five chances because it was during the pandemic um, and Jay cost him pretty much every single time. And he said, hey, not only did he do that to us, Now he could actually join Judgment Day. KO said he cannot trust Jay, but he trusts both of them, and he hopes they're right. I thought this was a perfect segment, like no notes. We always discuss how the best promo segments are the ones that feel like reality. Even though they obviously waited for the show to be back live before speaking, it came across like a conversation they might have had together 
casually in the locker room or over dinner. Hey man, I got a problem with you. Why did you do this? Explain yourself. Okay, I understand your explanation. I don't like it. I trust you, but I still don't trust that person. All of their respective stances were made. Owens was reasonable in his objections and his ultimate acceptance. Cody came off like a huge baby face as usual, and Sammy stood as the good guy, best friend, like he always does. Plus, the idea that Jay has conflict with half of the Raw roster on TV and the rest of them backstage is great. I thought they knocked this out of the park. This was this was incredible. It starts off with Kevin Owens once again, only being the only person who watches the show. Right. <laughs> and, and pointing these things out. But like everything he said makes sense. He's like, Cody, Jay helped cost you the title at WrestleMania. Like, why are you OK with this? Like, I have that question. And I, I, I like this this kind of these couple of weeks here, like you could almost you could almost like term this like the trials of Jay Uso, where like he has to repent for everything mm-hmm. he's done and stuff like that in different ways with all these different people. Like it makes a lot of sense. So it set everything up. Cody, you're right. Cody does look like the baby face, but like even I'm like, dude, what's what's really behind this? Just the fans are cheering for Jay. So you're like, that's cool. Like I kind of want you to be a little more upset about what happened at WrestleMania. And we've got that being spoken through Kevin Owens. So that'll make sense. You know, Kevin Owens long being the guy you can't trust. Um, and, and Sammy kind of noting that makes sense as well. So really, really good stuff. So Jay Uso was backstage shrugging off this kind of segment when Damian Priest came up with his pitch to Jay saying the other guys in Judgment Day want Jimmy, but he wants the main event. Priest said the blood and the bloodline only made them relatives, but Judgment Day can be the family he's seeking. He wanted an answer by the end of the night. I was glad they didn't drag this out, by the way. KO and Sammy were discussing uh, seeing this interaction when Jay came up and argued with KO who was just being a pessimist about the entire situation. Owens left saying he wouldn't trust Jay whether he joined Judgment Day or not. Sammy told Jay, chill out, make your decision, and get back to me. So I bet you know what I loved here. KO, you mentioned this already, watching something that happened on the show that he was not involved <laughs> in, yet still saw it because he's a human being and a real person with eyes and ears and sees the monitors, right? And then brings it up to his best friend, who he's having the conflict with. It's like he's the only guy in wrestling history who bucks the trend of, if I didn't see it, it didn't happen. He not only pays attention, he has real memory. It helps so much with continuity. But Chris, if the Jay Damien conversation and Dom's comment earlier didn't prove out exactly what we were talking about last week regarding Judgment Day being the fulcrum for the continuation of the Jay and Jimmy feud across not one but two brands, I'm not sure what else needs to say. I don't know... What other proof we need to show? Everything continued to play out here. And again, just like the segment earlier, I thought they knocked this one out of the park. Yep. And and again, I keep thinking faction warfare stuff. They keep saying like, hey, we're the strongest faction in WWE. You want to come join us. Like they're trying to get numbers here because they they feel like everybody's kind of in teams at the moment and they want to get some more people on their side. It's I, I normally I, I've said this many times and we may come back to this later in the show. I still don't like that the tag team titles are unified. But doing it with Judgment Day across two shows has been a lot more effective mm-hmm. than Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on both shows. So Judgment Day, again, continues to really carry a lot of WWE on their back right now, and they're doing a really good job. Especially not having Roman Reigns for this juncture. Uh, now, Rhea Ripley's not on TV at this moment, but being able to get Rhea Ripley on both shows, Finn Balor on both shows, the heat from Dominic Priest as the Money in the Bank guy, it just makes all the sense in the world. So really smart decision there. So let's move to the main event. It was Jey Uso against 
Uh, Drew McIntyre, Judgment Day came down early in the match. McIntyre hit a powerful superplex. Jay came back with a catch Samoan drop. Dom distracted as Drew went for a Claymore. That allowed Jay to counter with a superkick. Judgment Day then gave him a pep talk in the corner with Priest getting on the apron to give him advice. Jay dapped him up, took two steps forward, then super kicked his head off, super kicked Finn Balor, super kicked Dominic Mysterio all off the apron, only to get caught blind with a Claymore in the finish. The heels attacked Jay three on one after the bell. Drew was all the way up the ramp. He was watching them internally, fighting, struggling with himself, determining whether he wanted to help. He eventually turned his back. Then he picked his head up and was giving it a second thought, only for Cody Rhodes' music to hit. Cody runs right past Drew, helps Jay clear the ring, and it ends with another crossroads to Dom. I'm going to repeat this a lot on today's show as we move through our next segment, but I loved the storytelling aspects of the match. McIntyre taking out his long-held aggression without remorse, Jay soaking in the Judgment Day pitch, realizing they were full of shit, McIntyre fighting against his babyface instincts even more than we've already seen, pulling him to the dark side. That was interesting because he never wears white, but he wore white for this match. So it was the juxtaposition Mm -hmm. of him wearing white, but now turning heel as opposed to always wearing black and being a babyface. Cody literally going out of his way to do what Drew would not in the end. And beyond the storytelling, good wrestling in the match with the right winner, McIntyre needs wins. He got a Claymore and Jay got an excused loss. This probably planted seeds for a Cody and Drew feud. And obviously, we've also discussed Survivor Series possibilities with many of these guys. I just thought this hit every note perfectly. And again, it was a microcosm of what went so well Monday night on Raw. My, my first question, do you remember them promoting this main event like at all during Raw? Like we were like two thirds of the way through and I was like, what's the main event? I, I didn't even know there wasn't they, much build to it. Did I miss something or did they not really promote it? They 100% announced it at the beginning of the show and promoted it on social media. I think there was another promotion at somewhere in the middle of the show, but it's tough for me to say because I was literally watching three things at once, both Monday Night Football games yeah. and Raw simultaneously. So it's very possible I missed right. it, but I know they at least mentioned it once, if not twice or three times. Yeah, is it, I, I was just because I was like, oh, this is like I like the story behind this and everything. I kind of wish we'd kind of gotten a little bit more or, or like a Drew promo or something beforehand. Um, Drew coming out in white at first looked like he was just wearing tidy whities but you're <laughs> right about that juxtaposition with Jay. And then the finish, I freaking love that, man. Mm-hmm. That was the best thing they did on the two shows was the finish to this match. Drew, you got Drew. He's looking away. No, he's not. He's he's, he's not going to help Jay. No, maybe he is. No, nope, Cody's going to go do it. And Drew's out. Like, I love that they didn't give us that answer. Cody's going to keep doing the defend Jay thing because nobody else will. And Drew McIntyre got his uh, aggression out on Jay, but he's not satisfied. Like, he's not like, we're fine now. We're good. Like, I love that. It opens up so many doors for Drew. That was one of the things I thought about Raw was like, Raw's got... Cody and Jay and some stuff, but it, it feels like it's missing like a, a red hot, like star power feud. Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura is not doing that. Drew McIntyre can be that guy. Oh, yeah. If it's a Drew Cody thing, potentially that would be intense. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the follow-up on this next week. Drew's kind of been hanging around in the background for a while, but with the way raw ended, the number one thing I want to see Next week on Raw is Cody being like, hey, Drew, what the heck? Why didn't you help out or something like that? Like we need a re- we need we need to get some sort of resolution on that. And and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. 
I'm not sure if I'm alone on this, but as this segment was transpiring, there was like an inkling in the back of my mind we might be on the way to getting not only a McIntyre heel turn, but possibly Drew joining Judgment Day, as weird as that sounds. Like, he runs back, he saves Jay, pushes them off, then just claymores Jay's ass, and they all celebrate together, and it's a swerve. Not sure why, but I could not shake that feeling. As the segment was playing out, I was like, okay, he's not going to help him, but is he going to turn on him? Did you have that thought at all, or is that just me? I, I thought about it, but not in a joining Judgment Day type of way. Like I thought he might be like, no, I, let me get the final shot, mm. boom. But gotcha. But not not necessarily join Judgment Day. I, I don't. They're, they're talking so much about people joining Judgment Day that I don't think anybody will. Um, but and, and Drew has kind of always been his own thing. He, even when he wasn't really in the brawling brutes, you know, he's kind of just been his right. his own thing on his own. So I didn't think that, but I, I mean, I, I I I could see it. Yeah, I think that's fair. One more thing. Uh, one of our listeners, Michael Meyer at Demboy2308, he had a take on this Jay and Jimmy story. He said, I've been thinking about it and I know who Jimmy Uso is. Have you seen the recent Super Mario Brothers movie? Jimmy is Luigi. He's scared of being alone, just trying to fit in, trying to help, but always messing things up. Jay is Mario, very confident, a better wrestler, gives better promos, is more over and shows his emotions. This is going to end when Jay saves his brother yet again. I think that's a little loose, but I can see the parallels. No, I think that's a great comparison. And I, I think um, I think the resolution of Jay saving Jimmy at some point feels like uh, a, a plot point along this way as well. So I, I, I think that's a great comparison. All right, there you go. That is it for the main event, which allows us to move into our second segment. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, for any first-time listeners, we are going to discuss everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw. And guess what? We're going to grade it good, bad, or ugly. Let's start with Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura. Before the match, Ricochet said he had moved past Shinsuke until he got attacked last week. He also called himself a cheat code, which I thought was a pretty good nickname for him. Uh, Seth Rollins entered after Nakamura with Adam Pearce and security trying to hold him back. He broke free, chased Shinsuke. Security eventually caught up and stopped him. Now, this match was purposefully slow early. Nakamura grounded Ricochet. Uh, he came back with a moonsault outside and later a handspring back elbow, plus a standing shooting star press and a springboard crossbody for an arm raise kickout. The shoulder didn't actually get up. The referee really should have counted three in the ring, but I digress. Uh, Ricochet countered Kinshasa outside with like a sonic boom. Shinsuke failed trying to use a chair. So Ricochet picked up the chair and just drilled him in the back and got the disqualification. He argued with the referee after the bell. So Nakamura took out his ankle, hit Kinshasa to the back of his head, did a dragon screw on the ankle, wrapped it around the post, and then beat the ankle with a steel chair. Rollins attacked out of the crowd. Nakamura countered a pedigree into a backdrop with Rollins' back landing on the steel chair. Shinsuke destroyed the back further into the announce table. Then he stole a fan fathead-style sign of Rollins and mocked the singing of his theme while walking off. Later, Rollins refused medical help at first backstage, but ultimately allowed someone to drag him into the training room. Even later than that, he said he's tired, he's in pain, he's losing his mind, he's willing to do whatever it takes to fight Shinsuke. So Rollins decided he's going to take his hands off the wheel, 
Nakamura can decide the time, the place, and the stipulation. I'll tell you two of them. It's going to be after 8 p.m. Eastern at WWE Fastlane in Indianapolis. In terms of the stipulation, not sure what they're going to do yet. Other than Ricochet looking like an idiot with the disqualification, this was a damn good segment. Shinsuke goaded Rick into the DQ, then he goaded Rollins into defying all the advice and rules by attacking him just so he could go after the back again and continue their storyline. That is strong heel work. The match did start slow. It picked up significantly down the stretch. Commentary told us Rollins thought Ricochet deserved the title opportunity while the match was ongoing. That served the story well to ensure Ricochet didn't take a meaningful L here. I just found this to be quite successful with really strong storytelling elements. And as I've said before, I really do not think Shinsuke is going to win the title, especially when they chose not to put it on Finn Balor. But man, I really want Shinsuke to win the title. This is the best main roster run of his entire career. And it may be his best work overall, NXT included. I just love the way that Triple H is presenting him. Totally. This has been great. I love that he took being a heel to another level on that. And look, look, it made sense for Ricochet to do the chair thing because of what has already happened to him. Like, like if you give us reasons for a baby face to get disqualified, it works. And, and, and they did that here. And I love that he didn't really have the upper hand for very long. And ultimately, Shinsuke gets the upper hand on everything. I could not get away from this, though which is not at all WWE's fault. Mm -hmm. Just a complete coincidence. The moment Shinsuke is taking the chair to Ricochet's leg on the turnbuckle was like the exact moment that Nick Chubb's injury happened on the Monday Night Football game. Was it really? On the Monday Night Football game. Like, yeah, like I actually went back and forth. I was like, oh, wow, this is like happening at the same time here. So really just kind of unfortunate timing. I don't think anybody really picked up on it or noticed it, but I noticed it. So uh, just... Unfortunate uh, timing. Hope Nick Chubb is okay uh, eventually. Well, he's not. I was going to say he's not okay. So <laughs> there's, yeah. There's, I mean, eventually. Yeah. K- kayfabe injuries and real injuries. Yeah. Um, I think Ricochet will be back. But uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I, I like a good, solid beatdown with weapons to take it to another, another, another level. Mm-hmm. And everything with Seth was good, except he starts off that interview backstage with his freaking goofy glasses on. I know. You know, like. I, I couldn't take him seriously when he's talking about uh, how my back hurts and I'm doing all the stuff while he's got these goofy stuff on. I head. know we're so close, man. Just I don't know need that. it's it's so close to being just like the perfect Seth babyface character. They just tone down the frickin' like 50 percent and we're there. That's all they need to do. Tone it down 50 percent and we're there with Seth Rollins. Hey, so stipulation wise, uh, just because they're probably going to announce it next week. It's a back injury story. It has to be last man standing, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I hate that. I hate that stipulation. Me too. But yes, I think so. It just—it's the one that makes the most sense. The guy can't stand up. He couldn't even stand up to walk into the training room. Last man standing. Maybe I quit. I would prefer I quit to last man standing. But I have a feeling it's going to be last man standing. And we've spoken about that many times. Least favorite stipulation. Also most overused. Not great stipulation. So there you go. Uh, Becky Lynch came out with her NXT Women's Championship. If that's news to you, go back and listen to our Thursday episode, which has major notes on Becky, Brian Danielson, and both potential WWE and AEW signees. I digress. Lynch said she didn't want the title to just become the Grand Slam champion. She wanted to defend it and elevate it against the future of WWE. Becky promised to be at NXT on Tuesday, but also defend it on Raw which brought out Natalia. Talk about the future of WWE. 
to take the challenge. Lynch pointed out the open challenge was for women who haven't gotten opportunities. So Natty pointed out Becky stepped in front of all the women in NXT to get the title match, and she was being a hypocrite. It was a heel statement. Straight facts, homie. That's exactly true. So we got the NXT Women's Championship match on Raw. Becky against Natty. Lynch missed a high risk and ate a nice discus lariat. Uh, They were kind of doing finisher counters back and forth. Then a triple roll-up counter with Lynch retaining the title in a decent length match. So this is going to get a good for me solely for Becky's promo and the fact that there was nothing wrong with the match. But given all the resources on the Raw roster, it was really disappointing for Natty to be in the match, particularly given I heard Tegan Knox was supposed to return for the opportunity. The story going around is plans were changed to thank Natty for doing double duty in India when Becky got denied and couldn't fly over there because of a small tear in her passport. I'm not exactly sure how a TV title match loss via roll-up in however many minutes, six, seven, eight minutes, for a 41-year-old is a reward. Try putting her in like a multi-week non-title storyline. That would be a reward. But again, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It's just that the challenge was a total shrug. As long as they come out next week and Tegan Knox or another deserving woman gets that opportunity and gets to have a featured match with Becky, it'll be easy to forget this one. Yeah, there was nothing much to it. I th- Again, I agree. Natalia made some fair points in that promo, and commentary said that. Commentary said she made some fair points. My only other thought on this was some people, and like my brother, thought texted and thought this was going to be Jade Cargill coming out. Oh, no way. And I was like, no, no, it, it's not. She is not, a, she is not at all known to most casual WWE fans. I don't want to go much into that because I don't like talking about spoilers and stuff and whatnot. I don't want to, I, I don't like seeing the reporting that's out there about it for that sure. reason, but uh, nah, nah. I know some people talked about it. Well, I think we can say in a very general sense, and if you don't want to be spoiled, literally just skip 30 seconds, uh, but there are reports that Jade Cargill uh, is leaving AEW or has left AEW. Her contract has expired and will be signing with WWE. It does seem like the plan is for her to debut on the main roster, but I did an entire breakdown of Jade Cargill on our Thursday episode. Again, it's a loaded episode that has a lot of interesting items, even for people who don't watch NXT or perhaps even AEW. But we talk about Becky Lynch. We talk about Brian Danielson, Jade Cargill, Edge, a number of other people. So go back and listen to our Thursday episode if you missed it. There are timestamps in those episode descriptions, but a lot of notable information um, that you can definitely gleam by just listening to that episode. That's all we'll say here today. Maybe we'll talk about it more next week. Let's move on with the rest of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Michael Cole said Rhea Ripley suffered bruised ribs while Raquel Rodriguez suffered whiplash, both at the hands of Nia Jax last week on Raw. That brought us to a tag team match. Chelsea Green and Piper Niven against Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark. It was non-title. Chelsea backstage said she and Piper are besties, except she didn't know that Niven was from Scotland. Not the funniest of her segments, but it was fine. Zoe in the match hit her twisting springboard senton on Chelsea, who got her ass kicked. Piper got the champion's momentum back and body slammed Shayna at ringside, only for Nia to run in, murder Piper into the ring post and steel steps, hit a Samoan drop and running senton on Stark, and then squash both champions in the corner before hitting bonsai drop on Baszler. Now they're calling it Annihilator, that bonsai drop finisher, which I gotta say is actually a good name. So props where it's deserved. Crazy sequence of events here. So this crowd was red hot for the first 90 minutes of Raw. Then this match started and they went 
dead silent for Chelsea, Piper, Shayna, and Zoe. And you can't really blame them because even though they have been telling these stories, there's nothing that exciting about them. Then Piper and Shayna, they start getting into it and the crowd perks up. They're getting excited only for Nia to interfere for a result that was a mix of loud boos granted, but ultimately once those boos died down, complete silence. Now that said, it's probably better than any other finish they could have done because there's no tag team division and these are seemingly the top contenders as a brand new team. More than anything, I actually think the kayfabe injury angles with Ripley and Rodriguez are really smart. You have WWE playing into the perception, at least, perhaps the reality of Nia being a dangerous worker who injures people. It's very tongue in cheek. I actually hope <laughs> that one or more of these women do injury angles too from Monday night. Because if they're going to make that the story, they need to dive all the way into it where she's injuring all the women on the roster. They're deep enough with plenty of women who need TV time. They can get away with certain key women missing two or three week periods of time. I started out really negative on this, but by the end, I actually do think it was good, even if I still have no desire to see Nia on TV. Yeah, no, I think it was good too. But to your point, like there's no real story connection between or explanation with Zoe and Shayna. Like they're not, they fought, Zoe lost, and now they're together. And they haven't really kind of dug into why that is, just have, trying to have commentary explain it. Well, no, um, hold on. I, I, hold on, 30-second timeout. They did have a yeah. moment where they earned each other's respect after the match, and I think backstage as well. So it was clear they they were coming together. But yes, to that, for them to team up and then face the champions, there wasn't enough build to that. I agree. And, and just Shayna's been gone for a while, and you know, since the Ronda stuff, there's not a lot of charisma there um but but in, in piper and chelsea haven't been together long enough to have a connection to them like i've said on this podcast many times i'm a big fan of the two of them together and think what they've done limited so far has been really fun and think they can do a lot with it but we just there hasn't been enough of it yet for anyone to have any feelings about it so then you have nijax coming into the finish and it, it all worked it honestly worked I, i'm curious where it goes couldn't help think with Nia and Piper together, big meaty women slapping meat. I mean that in the in the best of ways. Uh, Absolutely, so we'll see. But um, this was this was this was good. Well, better a lot better than I expected. Think about who you have, by the way, on Raw right now. You have Rhea Ripley, Raquel Rodriguez, Nia Jax, and Piper Niven. Four big men slapping meat equals excitement. I mean that's excitement. It is. Um, so, I mean, for them mm -hmm. to go that deep and, and large in the division with all four of those women, it is a different brand of women's wrestling than we are used to seeing in WWE. And I'm excited for it. And again, if you're going to bring in a heel and you want to make them a monster, you do exactly what you're doing with Nia Jax. It doesn't mean that we like her, the signing. It doesn't mean that we like her on TV. But you have to admit, through two weeks, they're making her look like an absolute beast. Dude, by the way, we just said it. Those four, what if you throw Jade Cargill into that mix? Oh my god. Like that is a lot of that is, that is a lot of strength. You know what it also is? It's not just a lot of strength. There's a lot of beef out here. It's a lot of beef out there, for sure. The reality, by the way, when it comes to Rhea Ripley, uh, she's in Australia with Buddy Matthews, both to visit family and friends, but because of WWE's announcement for the show that we talked about in Perth. Um, I'm sure Buddy will not be involved in that announcement, but I just wanted to explain why Ripley, of course, was not there Monday night. Uh, we had Asuka against Bailey on SmackDown. Backstage before the match, 
Bailey talked about everything for damage control going according to plan until EOSky challenged Asuka out of the blue. Kevin Patrick here flubbed an ad read for eBay Motors, calling it eBay Sports. Corey Graves had to correct him. I mentioned that for a reason. We'll get back to it. Michael Cole was promoting the Asuka EO match this entire time, noting next week will be their first one-on-one match. Even more reason that this should have been at Fastlane, by the way. But I digress. Asuka and Bailey had a strong, albeit normal match. Asuka caught her in an ankle lock, then jumped off the ropes for a codebreaker near fall. Bailey exposed the announce table and was ready to ruin Asuka when Shotzi popped up from behind the barricade and scared her running into the ring. Asuka took advantage with a backslide for the win. Then the faces fist bumped, though Asuka was a bit reluctant to fist bump Shotzi at first. You know, Bailey is taking so many L's recently. I was actually happy that this one was circumstantial. Maybe not the best situation given Asuka is going after a title and could use a clean win, but she also doesn't really need any elevation because she's freaking Asuka. Beyond that, I only hope that this Shotzi Asuka dap was something I've discussed previously. Having singles find friends so they can be part of the tag team division when needed, yet they can still operate independently. This is the type of relationship that I'm talking about them developing. And this is also what I said the last two weeks, Asuka and Shotzi always made more sense than Charlotte Flair and Shotzi, which just came out of nowhere and was ridiculous. At least we wound up in the right spot at the end. This was good. Yeah, I'm ultimately gonna give it a, good because of how it got there in the end. This has been a very strange, convoluted back and forth. I'm never quite sure what's going on with Shotzi. She's just kind of there. But I think it ultimately got us to a good spot. Um, So I'm going to say light good now after kind of a shaky few weeks. Agreed. Uh, LA Knight fought The Miz. This opened hour two. Knight held himself up by the ropes to prevent a basement DDT but Miz caught him with that draping codebreaker. Then Knight hit BFT for the win. It was a rather formulaic match. There wasn't really much to break down. Knight got serenaded with Chance after the bell. He grabbed the mic saying, now he's on a quest for gold and it doesn't matter if it's Rey Mysterio, Gunther, Seth Rollins, or even Roman Reigns. And then he did the closing salvo the right way by saying his name himself. And that put a bow on the entire thing. Heyman was shown watching backstage with Sokoa. He was angry at what Knight said, but Heyman clarified they don't have a go order from Reigns to do anything to LA Knight. So look, it was all good. I'd say nothing particularly great though. It allowed Knight to move past the Miz feud and seemingly onto something bigger. I'm guessing they did the rematch just for the ratings, but they didn't need to have a rematch. This very well could have added a payback and been fine. As I said last week, it feels like Styles is the plan for Reigns at Crown Jewel. Knight may be next, either at Survivor Series or maybe a big December SmackDown, like around Christmas. They always have a big match on that show. Maybe it's Reigns and Knight for the title on SmackDown, possibly the Royal Rumble, but it does feel like sometime between November and January, LA Knight and Roman Reigns will happen. Yeah, folks, they they are not alluding to it like that multiple times if they're not planning it. The Miz thing, this match kind of came out of nowhere for me. I, I like just totally missed that they were doing it here. I thought it would, they were just going to do it for Fastlane because I'd wanted that feud to continue. The, the, the Miz and the chair stuff had been really good. Like, I just thought this was going to keep going for a little bit because these two have been really hot together. But instead, LA Knight's just moving past Miz. And so now what? I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of surprised by that. I, I think LA Knight's obviously in a great spot and they keep alluding to like, he's called Roman Reigns out by name. Him and Heyman are back and forth. Like he's talking 
about getting gold and clearly not in the U.S. title picture. Like, that's all there's left. And so if if they're going to get LA Knight in the title picture somehow, but Roman's not there, I, I don't know. Does he just start going with Jimmy and Solo for a little bit? I, I don't know what's next for LA Knight here. But all the little breadcrumbs they're dropping say title shot, or at least in a story with Roman Reigns pretty soon, which would be wild. So uh, good news for him. Yeah, for sure. Let's move back to Raw. We had Chad Gable against Bronson Reed. Gable backstage asked Adam Pierce what he had to do to get another chance at Gunther. Pierce admitted Gable put on a career-making performance in the title match, but said he can't just slide him into another opportunity. First of all, he can because that's his job. And number two, he'd done it for a number of other people, so he could definitely do it for Gable. But I digress again. Uh, Bronson Reed interrupted, and Gable took the challenge, wanting to suplex his ass. Bronson hit one of the sickest big man tosses that I can remember early in this match. Then he pressed and threw Chad onto the top turnbuckle with a great camera angle for that shot. Uh, Gable hit a huge flying headbutt, though Reed blocked Chaos Theory. Gable then countered a senton with double knees, and he sold that injured knee for the remainder of the match. Bronson put him on his back and squashed him falling backwards. Then he hit Tsunami for the 1-2-3 and a clean victory. Man, did I love this booking and this match. You kept expecting Gable to pull it out in the end, only for Reed's size to just be way too much for him to handle, especially once he was on only one knee. Remember, the angle with Gable is that he has to work his way back to becoming the number one contender. This is exactly what I hoped would happen last week. Losing here and maybe even losing once or twice more will allow him to truly start from the bottom again and make him earn his spot. They could even do King of the Ring or something and make him win that to become the number one contender. It's clear that Gable will be the one to unseat Gunther and rushing the storyline for Fastlane, it would have been really disappointing. Like I said last week, you have someone break the record and then he loses the title three weeks later. That's just ridiculous. This is by far the best case scenario. Gable is gonna engender so much fan support and ride such a huge wave and he ultimately ends up toppling Gunther. He slays the Goliath. No surprise, this was good for me. I just, again, this I talked about this earlier in the show. There were so many situations in which match stories further developed long-term storytelling and storylines. This was another example of it. They crushed it. Yeah, no, this was good. And I, I love the way Wade Barrett called the tsunami. Like it just added to it. Like he's yelling tsunami as he comes down and hits him. Like that's a thing. Like make that a thing uh, that, that could really work for him. The story works. Everything, like I said, Gable's got to work his way back. They just have to make sure they're continuing to get him sympathy if he's going to string together a couple of losses because you know he said last week i'm coming back for the ic title and then he lost what if he, and he loses again are people going to tune out make sure he's still getting sympathy i think one weekend the knee injury like totally works so really good stuff staying with raw tomaso champa fought giovanni vinci champa cut a garage door promo saying he initially planned to play the long game on raw but he found out patience is not a virtue in wwe it's a crutch and you have to create your own opportunities. In other words, you have to do it yourself. He promised to run through Imperium to get to Gunther. Champa caught Vinci flying with a pump knee and locked him in the Sicilian stretch. Again, the Gargano escape for the submission victory. Gunther watched angrily from backstage and Ludwig Kaiser criticized Vinci for an extended stretch after the match. So this was a good promo from um, Champa and the match was solid. Nothing special, but it didn't really need to be. 
Champa as at least one in-between feud for Gunther, likely using the loss to explain the return of Johnny Gargano, the reformation of DIY, maybe Imperium interferes, and that's why he needs someone to get his back. I bet they do this title match for the Intercontinental Championship at Fastlane, and I would, would not be surprised if Gargano returns on the Raw afterward, or maybe even in the show to get his back, and then that develops them into a tag team. But thought it was solid, good across the board, just nothing that special, I would say. How, how, how I know he says things, but are we just is is fantasy booking Johnny Gargano's return just a thing every week now at this point? I mean, I'm not trying to make it that case, but like, look, I got information months ago this guy was coming back, and storylines just keep changing. But what is consistent right. is the references. That's like a consistent, no, yeah, it's, um, it's a consistent thread of the Champa storyline. It's just weird that Gargano has been healthy and cleared for so long, and they pushed him pretty hard going into elimination chamber last year or earlier this year, I should say, I'm sorry. Uh, he got injured and you're like, okay, well clearly when he comes back, they're going to push him really strong again. And he's just not on TV. So it's weird, but you're right. It feels like it's like me saying the same thing every week. And it's like, okay, silver King, when's <laughs> it going to happen? Well, I'm sorry that it's, they pushed it. That's not my fault, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this seems pretty clear. Ciampa gets a couple wins, gets an intercontinental championship match won't win that match and it is what it is. So like, this is all fine. Like it's a light good, like nothing bad. I'm just not like, I'm not into it right now. I'm not like super connected to it right now. Just, it's just kind of happening. Right. That's what I would say. I thought last week was better than this week with Champa, but we'll see what happens with Kaiser presumably next week and then how they build to Gunther going forward. But don't forget the end of that six man uh, the week ago with Alpha Academy and Champa against Imperium. That right. was exceptional. So well, as long as they keep building the off that, that's well, good. That's a, yeah, that's the thing. Cause like, we're just dealing with like Gable. I want Gable and Gunther, like Gable, like Gable's still trying to get it. Then Champa's over here being like, I'm coming for that intercontinental title. And I'm like, eh, I don't care. I'm, 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 I'm I want Gable to get it. So we, you got to kind of separate Gable fully from the Gunther spot, which I think they tried to do this week. Yes. Before we kind of big, okay, Champa really is the guy, you know, to, to get the match. So it's, it, you're going to have to kind of get people away from hoping for Gable Gunther because that's what they want because it was a great it was a great story and a great match. Right. Like we don't want to wait. And but then you run into the thing of like you can't have it both ways. Right. It's like, oh, they do so many rematches in WWE. Well, OK, do you want them to tell you a story and then delay the rematch or do you want it right away? You can't have you can't have both. I like the story. I like them delaying it and I'm appreciative of what they're doing. They're doing Otis and Bronson Reed next week, which means it's another week where Gable won't be involved in Gunther. I really don't think Ooh. that Gable and Gunther, yeah, I know, two big meaty men uh, slapping meat. I really should yeah. have prepared that. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. Yeah, the meat's going to be bumping on Raw next week. But I love that they're keeping Gable away from Gunther. I hope it happens for at least four weeks, maybe even longer. And don't forget, the last time WWE did Blood Money in the Sand, it was supposed to be King and Queen of the Ring, and it wound up instead becoming Knight of Champions is what they ultimately went with. So they, I'm not saying that because I think it's going to be announced as Crown Jewel this year uh, when they're going back in November. So I'm not saying it's going to be King and Queen of the Ring, but they can run King and Queen of the Ring theoretically sometime in October, November, and maybe do the finals at that show because it is crown jewel after all it still fits and then you can have gable 
fight Gunther perhaps at Survivor Series or something like that. And that can be the title match. So I like the idea of delaying it. it. I just hope they give us a good amount of time for it. Sorry, go ahead. It feels like they're building Survivor Series to be a big show. It does, yeah. And there have been reports out there about Triple H wants to make it a big thing. So if you do a faction warfare war games, you do Chad Gable beating Guther for the IC title, you do LA Knight versus Roman Reigns for the world title, like that may, that kind of may be the thing all of this is eventually building to. You know where you read that about Survivor Series? You read it on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over this past Friday on our news update. That's where you saw that. Yes. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, let's keep going here. Uh, LWO was in the ring with everyone dressed down except for Santos Escobar, who looked extremely dapper in a black double-breasted suit. Rey Mysterio spoke about being depressed when he had to change brands to SmackDown, only for LWO to remind him what family is really about. Mysterio was proud of being United States champion, and Escobar put him over for stepping up and winning when Theory took him out. Escobar said it was his career dream to face Mysterio in a title match. So he simply and respectfully asked for the opportunity. Ray played it like he was offended, but he was joking, obviously, and he accepted the challenge only for Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits to interrupt. Lashley got big Bobby chance, saying it seems like it will be easy for them to take over SmackDown when all these groups are infighting and having friendly matches. Like five seconds later, Legato Del Fantasma challenged the Street Profits to a match. Just about two minutes after commercial, maybe less, the Profits hit the revelation for the win. Patrick missed the call, and Cole had to double back and do it. That's why I mentioned him earlier. He had two big mistakes on SmackDown. Lashley then had the Profits do a post-match beatdown to cement what was teased as a heel turn. Lashley also attacked Escobar, and Mysterio took a shot before it all ended. Clearly a lot to unpack here. I enjoyed the initial LWO segment and the friendly challenge. Now, it's fair to wonder when or even if that happens, given the injection of Lashley and the profits into all this, but at least they're acknowledging it at a minimum. I just wish it was clarified that Santos literally won a number one contendership and did not get the match. Speaking of Lashley and the profits, they came out again for a promo segment where they didn't really say anything of significance. It was another missed opportunity to establish a name or a purpose beyond we want power. Does Lashley want the US title? Are the profits with him to become tag team champions again? It's been like a month now. And finally, the match was absolutely nothing with LWO relatively squashed for no reason. I say that because it was a loaded SmackDown. My guess is this got cut for time. In that case, don't have the match. You can run the exact same segment with a surprise attack where LWO thinks there's a friendly challenge only for their asses to get kicked. That said, The establishment of this group as heels, or at least shit kickers who don't care, that's a positive. I'm glad they addressed the Mysterio Escobar deal, and everything did take a step forward. Bobby got big chance in part because he was in his home state. He's very popular in Colorado. That may have been purposeful to try to do the turn there. I'm interested to see the reaction for Lashley and the Prophets next week. If they get booed, that's a positive. If they get cheered like nothing happened, that won't be great. I'm going to give this a good, but it definitely could have been way better given all the notes I just provided. Uh, I can't believe, I'm so confused why they keep coming out and not giving us the purpose. Like it's feels like it's incomplete. Like we figured, all right, you finally brought Bobby Lashley back. You put them together. Like we're going. And instead it's just been weeks of nothing, which is just strange. And then uh, as for the match, um, I had 
honestly forgotten the names of the other guys in LWO. <laughs> like I was like, you know, it's Ray and Santos and they're getting all the attention and all things going. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot these two other guys who wrestle. We've like, can't remember the last time I saw them in a match on the show. And you know, you get the expected result. I still like the finisher for the street profits, but like, that's the only like signature thing that they have with Bobby Lashley right now, other than dressing nice. So it's weird. I, I'm going to give this a light bad just because it was kind of a waste of time other than announcing a, a U.S. title match. So, um, yeah. And the, I, I, accept, I expected more. And I accept that grade. And, and you know what? Like it was this segment and the whole women's tag team thing on Raw, both of which were like right on the border of good and bad for me. I mean, it's, it speaks a lot mm-hmm. to the quality of WWE right now where like we're not immediately jumping to ugly and bad for certain segments where in the past – we would because they were so blatantly obvious, bad and ugly. But I don't have a bad, I think, on Raw or SmackDown this week. Just a lot of criticisms for things that otherwise were solid. So I'm going to stick with my good, but I think that's totally fair. This segment, again, and the women's tag team segment, if there was going to be a bad this week for me, it would have been one of those two or perhaps both of them. So those were the two weakest uh, things that we got across both shows. I think that's totally fair to say. Uh, Let's There's two more segments here. I was going to say let's wrap up, but we got two more. Uh, Kofi Kingston and Ivar. Now, this was supposed to be a two out of three falls tag team rubber match. The feud is 1-1. But Eric wasn't medically cleared. Uh, So we got just a singles match. Ivar splashed Kofi on the ring apron outside, then missed a splash inside. Kingston came back with a frog splash and a twisting flying crossbody. Ivar countered SOS into a double underhook Liger bomb and hit a huge roundhouse kick plus a running seated senton in the corner. Ivar went up to splash Kofi, but Valhalla told him to turn around and climb for a top rope moonsault, which he did and which he hit clean for an exceptional false finish. The crowd was hot. Kofi came back with a sunset flip powerbomb and then hit trouble in paradise for the one, two, three. Now, credit to WWE for explaining both the reason for the initial match and then the reason that the match was changed. That was massively refreshing. I initially wrote down, they should have just canceled this match. Why do you need to have it? And then the match happened and it was a sneaky banger. Like I don't even question calling it a banger. I was also resigned to Ivar winning. And then I forgot, oh, Triple H has the book. The big man doesn't automatically have to win. This was terrific. It seemed to deliver out of nowhere. It was one of those fun moments where you look up midway through a match and you're like, wait a minute. This is actually worth paying attention to. Not only did Kofi win, which as a former WWE champion, I found to be appropriate, but Ivar was the star of the match. He was made in this match. I went 3.75 stars B+. I probably would have gone four if Ivar had won off the moonsault because when a man of his size is gonna pull off and execute a move like that, and he looked like he squashed Kofi like an ant. If that's gonna happen, you need to just end the match right there. Even if Kofi is a former WWE champion, even if Ivar is not gonna go on a singles run. If you're gonna do that spot, Ivar should have won the match, but I'm fine with Kofi winning. This is as easy a good as I could give. It was a thrill to get this and quite a surprise. Certainly a good. And like the thing, the best thing was that they kayfabed why the card changed. How many times for years under Vince McMahon we have a match announced for next week and then it just doesn't happen yeah <laughs> and there's 
not, no acknowledgement or nothing and something has changed they like this made it feel like everything matters mm -hmm. like every time a, a match is announced like it felt like a real company reacting in in real time to news and having to adjust like it was such a little thing that i think went that they put so much like care into doing and kofi and, and xavier woods were just so good with that adam pierce continues to be very good at his job as yeah. well then the match was of course a banger so credit to them for every single part of this because this is like low card type of stuff and they put in the details to make it feel like you the viewer matter and i really appreciated that by the way across raw and smackdown this was the match of the week from friday and monday this was the best match i mean Kofi Kingston and Ivar out of absolute nowhere. Now, it sounds like it's from absolute nowhere, but there's actually a little bit of history here that I want to share with everybody. So Todd Hansen, who is Ivar, previously Hansen from the War Machine, which was the old tag team name, of course, of the Viking Raiders. But Hansen, for a period of time, was actually Kofi's professional wrestling trainer. And mm. one of the reasons why New Day and Viking Raiders have had so many feuds and so many matches is because they're getting the opportunity to work together, obviously grow the tag team division, but New Day wanted to kind of lend a hand in re-elevating the Viking Raiders after a period of time where, of course, they were on TV and nothing much was made of them. But Kofi and Hanson, I actually found this late last night while I was kind of putting notes on the show. They actually had a singles match back in 2006, and I posted it on our Twitter, at Getting Overcast. So you can watch Kofi and Ivar uh, 17 years ago fight each other Match was actually pretty solid. The finish was awful. They botched it. Um, so the finish we got on Monday night was much, much better. And they, as wrestlers, of course, were much, much better 17 years later. But it's very funny to see a young Kingston and a much slimmer Ivar uh, go head to head. So be sure to check that out on our Twitter again, at Getting Overcast. But I'm sure this was a meaningful moment for both of them to be able to have this match. I don't know that they fought singles before. Maybe they have. But if so, it hasn't been frequently. So very cool that this actually uh, got to happen on Monday night. And lastly, here in the segment, Pretty Deadly ran into Pierce on SmackDown. He gave them great news that Elton Prince's shoulder was healing quickly and they would be back in the ring soon. Prince played as if he was completely traumatized by that news. And then Pierce pointed out that he didn't really need a wheelchair just for a shoulder injury. That was even more hilarity. Uh, Kit Wilson got pumped up uh, that Prince was gonna be able to begin rehab. And I truly, truly, Chris, hope that we are getting rehab vignettes over a period of weeks or a month uh, before they return because those two guys doing rehab would be hysterical. Awesome to have them back. Not much of a segment here, but it was good. That's a great idea. Uh, this was, yeah, this was fun. Good to see them back. They are very fun and I love that idea. So yeah, good stuff. All right, that wraps up the good, the bad and the ugly, which means we have one segment left on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is time for the last word. So DJ take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, before we get into this question, I do want to note I had a document saved of probably three different last word questions. For some reason, I accidentally deleted it. So if any of you have written in via email or DM'd us questions that were last word that you think are quality questions. And there were a few, don't get me wrong, but you have not heard them yet answered on this show. Please go ahead and resend them. And I promise we will try to work them in. And for anyone else, if you wanna submit a question for the last word, just a reminder, this is 
wrestling or non-wrestling related topics that you just are curious to hear Chris and I discuss, but that don't have to do with the goings on for what's happening weekly on WWE television, you can email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com or tweet DM us gettingovercast on Twitter. This one came via email from B Money. Uh, with so many stables factions in WWE, like the Bloodline, Judgment Day, Imperium, etc., what do you think of the possibility of WWE creating six-man tag or trios tag titles in the near future? So here's my take on this, and it's something that I've thought about actually quite a bit. If they were going to truly unify the tag team titles, then I would be fine with them creating six-man straps. It would be a way to differentiate one brand from the other generally, but it would also create more crossover opportunities without breaking the roster rules. And I will say, aside from a couple notable exceptions like The Miz and LA Knight feud, WWE has largely stuck to the roster split. But to split the four-man tag team titles and then add a set of six-man titles, that would be way too much and it would be completely unnecessary. Also, it's something that WWE has never done. So you have to put a good amount of effort behind it. They've had six-man matches frequently, but don't forget the four-team or the four-man tag team division. It's just now, over the last year, getting rebuilt after years and years of languishing and being overlooked. I mean, they haven't even figured out the women's tag team titles yet. They're on TV more, the champions, at least more than they have been since the pandemic, but there's no real storylines. None of the teams exist when they're not around the titles themselves. They don't have non-title matches to win number one contenderships. They're not in singles matches between tag team partners. They're not developing storylines with the teams in the background. So yes, for the men, there are plenty of trios that exist throughout the roster that can be utilized. Don't forget though, the bloodline is down to two. There's not three. Even if you add Jimmy, it's barely three. Judgment Day has three. Maybe they add JD McDonough, get to four. Um, The Street Profits and Bobby Lashley are three. You have the Brawling Brutes. You have... um, Imperium, obviously, and and there's a couple others kind of straggling out there that you could put together, but they're not operating as three-man groups. They're operating as groups that happen to have three men, usually a tag team and a single. So yes, you could put it together, but the circumstances would have to be perfect for it to happen, and it would start with unifying the tag team titles as they currently exist. Yeah, this this is a no from me because of kind of what you said. I if you add it, it becomes a crutch to not do stories. It's just the belt is the thing every time. I'd rather them work on telling good stories, which they generally, again, have done over the last year. Biggest thing I want, which I said at the beginning of the show, is split the tag team titles. Uh, I I don't like the unified stuff. It's still extremely weird when nobody else kind of has that anymore. We've gotten new women's titles, new world titles, but the tag team titles are still those weird old things with red and blue belts. Mm -hmm. split those, go back to that and just do tag teams. I don't trust WWE to work on trios tags. And since AEW added trios tags, it's not really done anything. Like you you not have really. a lot of no. three-man groups that aren't involved in the, in the tag titles. The most notable thing is that uh, the acclaimed made scissor belt. You know, <laughs> right. like it's just, it's just, it's kind of a, it's kind of a gimmick. It doesn't feel like a real championship type of thing. So based on the limited use of it, based on what we've seen in AEW and based on the way WWE kind of does things, I'm I'm against it. I wouldn't be for it. What I do want is for them to split the tag team championships. You know what the trio's titles did in AEW? They hurt the tag team division. 
The AEW tag yes, team division, too. upon the company's creation through the first, let's say, two and a half years of its existence, you could make an argument was the most talented tag team division that I don't want to say has ever existed, but it at least would put that, you know, a run, it would give that claim a run for the money. Um, there was incredible tag team wrestling constantly. The storylines were upper level main event quality. That tag team division has completely fallen off, partially just due to booking in general, but also because so many heavily capable tag teams are thrust into the trios division and the trios division, every time they try to do something with it, they're, they're just like, they do something really cool with house of black and then they go away from it. Now the acclaimed has the titles, but like, there's, does anyone really care that they have the titles? You know, there's not nearly enough trios. There are never nearly enough trios to make a yeah. division out of it. I will say there's more trios in WWE for the men than there are tag teams for the women. But that doesn't mean that you should have a title for it. Right. That's really what it comes down to. So look, folks, that was the last word. And it was the conclusion of this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We are quickly approaching our 500th episode here. And we have another one still to come this week on Thursday. We will be back to talk everything that happened in the world of AEW and NXT. A reminder, if you missed last Thursday's episode or you don't normally listen because maybe you don't watch AEW, you don't watch NXT, there are some big items in that show about Brian Danielson, Becky Lynch, Jade Cargill, and, and Edge, and some other notable people. You may want to go into the episode description, find the timestamp, and at least jump to that section or those sections of that show. But regardless... I hope you listen to this Thursday's episode as usual. And next week, we will be back. Same bat time, same bat channel for the next WWE edition of Getting Over on Tuesday. On the way out, reminders as always first that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So be sure to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Take some extra time, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. You can also send in questions for the last word or questions or comments for any portion of the show. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And don't forget, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get the news post that we've mentioned multiple times on this episode. Bonus instant reaction audio the night of most of the major television shows in WWE and AEW. And your financial contribution directly supports the continuation of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening to today's show. Thanks for Vintage for joining once again. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.